Father God, uh, we thank you and we come before you this evening, Father, and we just, Lord, we come with open hearts, Father God. We come with ears ready to receive your word, Father God, with hearts ready to be filled by you, Father God. And so we, we ask and we pray that as we just, Lord, just meet with you here, Father God, that you would just meet with us, Father. That you would have your way in our hearts, Lord, and that you would just fill this place with your spirit. And so we give you this time. We thank you for the opportunity that we have here as your children to draw closer to you and to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
still got forever. And the house still got forever. Your shepherd's life, your comfort's Presence of enemies, surely goodness will follow me, follow me in the house of God forever, in the house of God forever, in the house of God forever.
just study your word, Lord, your words that you have given to us, Father God. We ask that you would just, Lord, just have your way in our hearts, Lord. Shape us and mold us. And we just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, church. Turn around. Say to someone next to you. Um, be praying for Pastor Mike and Zach and David as they are in the mission field enough, so just keep them in your prayers as they are just, you know, laying the foundation, doing the Lord's work. Um, so please continue to keep them in your prayers. Um, but with that being said, if you'll turn with me to Romans 12 tonight, that's where we're going to be camping out tonight. Romans chapter 12. Let's pray one more time. We can't pray enough. Lord, we again come before you. And as we just turn to your word, Father God, and as we just dive into what you have for us, Lord, may you just speak to us. Lord, may it be your words, not mine, Father God. May I just be behind you, Lord, that you would be at the forefront of this night, this time. And so we give it to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be tonight. And we're going to be talking about, what do I call the title? Attributes of Christian Living. I think that's what I called it. We're going to be talking about attributes of Christian living and, and what it means how to live the Christian way. You know, and it's, you know, it's, it's very easy, as you guys may know, and that's, that's a joke, by the way. It's not easy. But we are called to a higher calling. We are called to be different. Right? We know that this world is not our home. We know that we should not conform to things of this world, but that we should conform to the ways of the Lord. And so we're going to be talking about that tonight. 
So Romans chapter 12, let's, let's read. We're going to actually read the whole chapter, and then we're going to break it down into sections. So let's start in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts different, I'm sorry, deferring according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let us love, I'm sorry, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Verse 13, distributing the, to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, the, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of, one, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Having, have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals on fire. I'm sorry, heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we see in the beginning, in verses 1 and 2, we see the foundation for Christian living. The foundation for Christian living, and that is what? The living sacrifice. The living sacrifice. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's break it down a little bit. He says, I beseech you. This is reminding us as Paul is writing to the Romans, right? He said, he reminds us that Paul is appealing to our will. Our will. God calls us to make a choice about the way that we live for him. He says, therefore, brethren. 
And if you know anything about Paul and, and his writings, it is, it is a very common pattern for Paul to begin a letter with a strong doctrinal section and follow with exhortations to Christian living. And Paul begs, right? He doesn't ask, he begs Christians, the church, to live a certain way in light of what God has done for him, for them. And he reminds them, he said, this is by the mercies of God. He reminds us that we do this because of of the mercy shown to us by God. And the previous 11 chapters, he describes that over and over again in different ways. And that we are only able to offer ourselves to God as he works his mercy in us. And God commanded us to do this, and he makes it possible for us to do it. If we think about all the mercies of God that Paul has explained so far, and I know we haven't been reading up to chapter 12 here in Romans, but I want to remind you, or if if you're familiar with Romans, or recap what he has spoken in in the first 11 chapters, the mercies of God that Paul has explained to us so far. He talks about justification from guilt and penalty of sin. He talks about adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ. He talks about being placed under grace, not under law. He talks about giving the Holy Spirit to live within. And he talks about the promise of help in all affliction. He also talks about the assurance of a standing in God's election. Confidence of coming glory. Confidence of of no separation from the love of God. Praise him. And then he also talks about, lastly, leading up to to chapter 12, he talks about the confidence in God's continued faithfulness. In, In light of all this mercy, past, present, future, Paul begs us to present present our our bodies as living sacrifices. To present your bodies. Connected with with the idea of a living sacrifice, you guys, this this calls to mind, or this should call to mind, priestly service. Spiritually speaking, our bodies are, are, are to be brought to God's altar. And presenting your bodies, you guys, the Lord is asking for that. Meaning that he wants you. He wants you. Not just our works, not just your works. He wants you as a whole. Because you think about it, we can do all sorts of works, good deeds for the Lord. But we can never give him ourselves. And so Paul is appealing to us to give not just our works, our everything, our all. And he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To be holy, to be acceptable to God. You guys, when we offer our body, God intends it to be 
holy and acceptable. And we are made holy and acceptable through the blood of Jesus. And the standard, you guys, for sacrifices is made to God under the new covenant are not any less than the standard under the old covenant. In the Old Testament, every sacrifice had to be holy and acceptable to God. We see in Leviticus 1, 10, it says, he shall be, I'm sorry, he shall bring a male without blemish. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 21, it says, but if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. I mean, it feels like it sums up, up, us up to a T, right? We're messed up. We're nowhere near perfect, right? We have blemishes. We have issues. We have problems. But praise the Lord that his son Jesus' blood cleansed us of those, that we would be a perfect sacrifice, a perfect living sacrifice. That we should decide on holiness, not the world. That we should be yielding to the work of of the Lord's holiness in our life. As we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, God makes our life holy by burning away impurities. And he talks about reasonable service. The ancient Greek word you guys for reasonable is the word, I'm going to kind of probably butcher this, logikos. And it can also be translated of the word. So reasonable service is, a, is, is in a sense a life of worship according to God's word. The sacrifice of an animal in the Old Testament was, was reasonable service, but only for the one bringing the sacrifice, not for the sacrifice itself. But under the new covenant, praise the Lord, we have far greater mercies. And with those far greater mercies, we're able to offer a far greater sacrifice. Verse 2, it says, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? I'm reading the wrong chapter. Well, that doesn't sound right. And do not, verse 2, <clears throat> be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul is asking us to <clears throat> resist conforming to the world. And embracing the, the transformation that comes in Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world. This warns us that this world system, <clears throat> this popular culture, manner of thinking that the world says is okay. <clears throat> That's in rebellion against God. We'll try to conform us to ungodliness, to unholiness. <clears throat> and Paul calls us to resist that. 
you know, I, as you guys know, I lead the youth group. <coughs> and so much of these young youth's identities is found in, in social media and in popularity in schools, <coughs> you name it. And I have to constantly remind them, guys, remember that we are called to a higher calling. We're not called to conform to this world. As Christians, we must think differently. And we do that by reading the word. We do that by fellowshipping. Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? This is the opposite of being conformed to this world. The battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed is is within our own minds. It's within ourselves. And again, we Christians, we we must, we have to think differently. The problem with many Christians is that they live a life based on feelings. Right? You know Pastor Mike loves his feelings, right? Or they're only concerned about what they do, their actions. Right, a life based on feeling says, how do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my wife or my husband? How do I feel about the worship today? How do I feel about the teaching today? Right, but this life of feeling, they will never know the transforming power of God because it ignores the renewing of the mind. And a life based on doing, it says, don't give me your theology. Just tell me what to do. Right? Give me points for A, B, C, and D. But this life of doing will never know the transforming power of God because, again, it ignores the renewing of the mind. God is never against the principles, you guys, of feeling and doing. Right? Those aren't bad things. He is a God of powerful and passionate feeling, and he commands us to be doers of the word. We see that in James chapter 1. Yet feelings and doing are completely insufficient foundations for a Christian life. Our first questions cannot be, how do I feel or what do I do? Right? Our, our first question should be, what is true here? What does the word of God say? Through that, we are transformed. That word transformed, this is an ancient Greek word, metamorpho, describing a metamorphosis, right? It's the same word used to describe Jesus and his transfiguration in, in Mark chapter 9, right? This glorious transformation, Paul uses this word only one other time, and that was in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. That verse says this, says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. For Paul, you guys, this transformation, this renewing of our minds, it takes place as we behold the face of God as we bask in his glory. 
And we can do that through his word, through worship, through prayer. <clears throat> he says, prove that what is, I'm sorry, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we are transforming the inside, you guys, the proof is evident on the outside. As others can see what the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God is through our lives. And Paul explains how to live out the will of God. Keep in mind the rich mercy of God to you, past, present, and future. He says, as an act of intelligent worship, decide to yield to your entire self to him, meaning present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, do not be conformed, meaning to resist conformity to the thoughts and actions of this world. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We do that by focusing on God's word and fellowship with him. He says, prove what is that good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. Then your life will be in the will of God. That you may know what is good and acceptable. But you guys, in and of yourself, cannot prove it. Cannot do it apart from the Lord. We need to have that transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on verse 3. It says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So now we're talking about living out the spiritual gifts that God has given. And he's, he's giving a warning to live in humility and to, and to humbleness. He says, to everyone among you. Right, Paul soon will speak about how we should exercise spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. But he warns us. about humility. That word humility is such a struggle for me. Because it's hard. It's hard to not be proud, prideful. I come from a Mexican background and if you know anything about Mexicans, we are Hispanics in general, honestly. We are very prideful, very, very proud of our heritage, of where we've come from, what we do. And growing up, you know, around family members, you know, that was instilled in me at a, at a young age. And it, man, the Lord had to do a lot of work on me to break me from that. And I still struggle with it to this day. I know none of you guys else, none of you guys struggle with that, but I do. Especially Mike Russo. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but we are called to humility. Why we should remember that that spiritual giftness does not equal spiritual maturity. Just because you're gifted doesn't mean you're mature. That one smacked me in the face too. 
Just because a person has substantial spiritual gifts does not mean that they are necessarily mature enough or a worthy enough example. He says, he says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, right? Paul does not tell the believer to take an attitude that, that finds pleasure in humiliation or, or being degrading or being degraded, but rather the idea is that we should see the truth about ourselves and live in light of it because the truth is that we deserve hell. The truth is that we deserve nothing. Right, the Bible talks about that every perfect and good thing comes from above. Right, we sow wickedness and sin. And the fact that the Lord has called us to serve him, to live for him, to, to, to rep his name. How, how humble, how humbling. Like, wow. When you see yourselves, when I see myself as, as I really am, it is impossible to give, up, give, give in to pride. When you realize how messed up you really are and how amazing it is that the Lord still wants you, that the Lord still calls us. He says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This means that we should see our saving faith as a gift from God and that we have no basis for pride or superior opinion of ourselves because again it comes from the Lord not from us our salvation our our foundation of Christianity guys if it was if it was on us yikes Verses 4 and 5. It says, For as we have many members of one, in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul now is talking about unity and diversity in the body of Christ. He says, Many members... In one body. We need to make sure that we see the church as, as a unified whole, not parts. Yes, we are distinct. We have individual members. <coughs> uh, each of us have different gifts, different callings. But in the body of Christ, there is unity. Right? Not necessarily uniformity, but unity. It says individually members of one another. Unity, you guys, should never be promoted at the expense of individuality. And again, and then the opposite, individuality should never diminish the church's essential unity in Christ. Right? The Lord is our common ground. We are one body in Christ. Yes, we have our differences. Yes, we irk each other. Yes, we have different opinions on some things. 
but we should not allow that to divide us, to control us, to pull us away from each other, to cause division in the body, because again, we are one body in Christ. We should be in unity. Verses 6 through 8. It says, that Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul talks about the gifts that we are to use and how to use. How God has granted to the individual members of the church these gifts. The difference, you guys, the distribution of gifts is all due to the grace that is given to us. Again, spiritual gifts are not given on the basis of our own merits, our own works, talents. But they are because God chooses to give them. He speaks about prophecy, about ministry, about teaching. He who gives, he who leads, he who shows mercy. Again, all great gifts. But it's all vain if we don't use it for the glory of the Lord. If we don't remember that it is given to us by grace, not by our own works. Again, we see the humility aspect of of serving the Lord, of being a Christian. I'm definitely not going to get through this chapter, but we're going to try to try to push forward. Let's read verses 9 through 13. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the need of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I jumped a couple verses, but oh well. We see a series of, of instructions on living like a Christian with others. And this section, it shows one thing clearly, that Paul knew the teaching of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount. Let's, let's kind of dive in a little bit. It says, he said, let love be without hypocrisy. We think about real love. We think about true love. If there is hypocrisy in that, it is not real love at all. Right? It's a, it's a masquerade of love. At best. 
and a masquerade of love in, 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 in the Christian church, it, it's hypocrisy. We should be against that. Right? We need to be real. He says, abhor to what is evil, cling to what is good. And in some ways, you guys, it is often easier for us to <clears throat> abhor to what is evil or cling to what is good rather than doing both, right? The godly person knows how to practice both. <clears throat> he says, be kindly affectionate to one another, right? This command that Christians should not have a cold, standoffish attitude He says, in honor of giving preference to one another, it shows that we are to display genuine affection to each other. We should see in this, as much as anything, a call to simple, in a sense, good manners among Christians. To love one another, to encourage one another. Says not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. If we are called to to warm relations and, and, and good manners, guys, we also know that we are called to hard work. All right, I'm gonna give you guys a little piece of advice. The church is no place for laziness. It is no place for laziness. But we are called to get after it. We're going through the book of Acts right now in, in youth group. And the big topic right now is, is the Great Commission, right? To go out and make disciples, right? The Lord doesn't say, just sit back, see what I do, leave that. They said, no, go out and make disciples of all nations. Put the work in. Get after it. Be respectful to the Spirit, to your calling. Rejoicing in hope, he says. The call to hope, you guys, usually has in mind our reward with Jesus. Right? Paul says that we serve God rejoicing in hope. And rightly so, right? We shouldn't rejoice in results. We should rejoice in hope. This shows how we are commanded to do these things with an eye towards heaven. Right, there's a bigger goal, a greater thing waiting for us. This is how we fulfill the command for hope, for, for patience, for steadfastness. And he says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. You guys, our care, our concern will demonstrate itself in practical deeds done for others. Inviting those to come with us, showing hospitality, showing love, showing grace and mercy, right? Attributes of the Lord that we should reciprocate with each other. Verse 14. Let's reread that one, because that one, that's a tough one for all of us, right? Bless those 
who persecute you, bless and do not curse. We are not to have a hateful attitude towards anyone. Not even towards those who persecute us. That's tough, right? That's tough. But when you practice what the Lord speaks to us, when you are constantly conforming to his word, practicing it, it does become easier. Praise the Lord. He says, do not curse, right? Jesus spoke of the same heart in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. The love that Jesus has shown, we can extend that to our enemies, to our friends. We are called to love. I'm going to go for it. Let's, let's, let's finish off in verse 15 through 21. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul, speaking of how to get along with people both inside and outside the church. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is how we can fulfill the command to be of the same mind towards one another, you guys. It is a simple command to be considerate of feelings of others instead of waiting for them to be considerate of your feelings. Be the first one to it. You make the first move. Right, it says associate with the humble. Paul cautions us to have, again, a humble mindset. When we refuse to set our mind on on, on high things, on prideful things, and we associate ourselves with humility, with humbleness, do you guys know that you are imitating Jesus Christ? He says, do not be wise in your own opinion. This reminds us of how far we still have to go in actually being like Jesus. Right? We like our own opinions. We value our own opinions, right? We think our opinions are usually the best opinions. It 
Paul warns us, right? Do not be wise in your own opinion. He says, repay no one evil for evil. That recalls Jesus' command back in Matthew chapter 5, right? We are to love our enemies and treat well those who treat us badly. He says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men, right? It is a way to live out the idea of praising what is good. That people should be able to see what is good and what is not based on our conduct. Right? People should be able to see us and say, there's something different. There's something good about that. Holy. To live peacefully with all men. That should remind us that though we are in contrast to the world, we do not seek out contention. Right, yes, even though we are not a part of the world, we should not be going and looking for a fight. Right, he says, if it is possible, we will be at peace with all men. Now, it may not always be possible, but if it is, we should be at peace. He says, do not avenge yourselves, right? The one who, who trusts in God, you guys, will not think it is necessary to avenge themselves. They will leave the issue of vengeance to the Lord. They will trust that he has a plan. And lastly, he says, overcome evil with good and with this mindset. In closing, we will do good to our enemies by looking for the most practical ways that we can help them, right? This is the way we are not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can destroy our enemy by, by making them our friend. We can show the compassion, the love of Jesus just as Jesus has shown us. Let's pray. We have about eight minutes, so we're going to have to spend a short time in accessory prayer. Lord, we thank you for your words. Lord, we thank you for your examples of how we should live our lives. I pray that you would continue to lead and direct us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would continue to seek after you wholeheartedly, Lord. And as we just pray for these next few minutes, Father God, we ask that you would just answer them according to your word on purpose, Father God. And we just lift them up to you. In Jesus' name.